3: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour. breakout or break down? Which way are stocks going to head next, and what will be the catalyst to take them there we're live today from the Javits Center in New York City, the SALT Conference here in New York today. The committee, of course, is with me. They're with me remotely, joining me for the hours. Kerry Firestone, Jason Snipe, Steve Weiss, and Joe Terranova. It's It's to to see everybody. Wish you were here with me, but this is going to have to do for the moment. Let's check the market, see where stocks are coming off their sixth negative day in the past seven. the fact of the matter is as all of you know, it's been hard to get much going lately. Dow is positive a third of a percent. S&P positive, too. NASDAQ's been negative lately, and that's the story right now. Albeit slightly, it's down a few points. And, Joe, you know, that's where I'll start. It feels like there generally is a malaise over the market. And we had a conversation yesterday. You were on the program. Jim Cramer came out and said this. I just find I don't have anything exciting. Nothing intrigues me. Uh... I just am. I'm not saying I'm bored because no market is ever boring to me. But, Scott, I just don't have anything compelling enough to say this is what you buy right here, right now. All right, Joe, what do you do with that?
4: I, I agree with Jim, and I think Jim is taking the perspective of being a longer term investor. There are things you could do in the market right now for trades. But in terms of opportunities for long-term investing, I agree with Jim. I don't see very many, Scott. And I think now you have expanded the list of concerns that you have for this month beyond thinking about the U.S. consumer. Are they beginning to uh, approach behavior with a little bit of frugality? We've got a looming government uh, shutdown potential. But you now also have concerns related to the Chinese economy. And I'm looking at my own portfolio today. My worst performing stock in my portfolio was Starbucks. Really? Now I have to worry about Starbucks. I have to worry about Apple. I have to worry about Nike. You have to worry about these large-cap consumer-oriented names because we're seeing such a deceleration in China. So you're always asking yourself the question in terms of long-term investing, where am I going to go to put the capital if I'm going to be getting out of something? And right now, to the answer to that, it's certainly not cash. But finding opportunities other than maybe natural gas and some oil names is very difficult. I agree with Jim.
3: We'll talk about cash in a moment and a very notable investor who weighed in yet again on the idea of holding cash. Yeah. But, Kerry, uh, look at your notes to our producer today. Um, and you said it's easier to be a seller. And maybe that's the bottom line of where sentiment lies today. It's difficult to be a buyer because you're not exactly sure what you should be buying
1: yeah exactly Scott when I say it's easier to be a seller I'm talking about the market generally I wasn't speaking about us because we're not sellers we have sold some stock into this rally but think about what the markets done for the last three years up 30 percent 18 percent this year 20 percent we're in a pandemic still we're not quite out of it and the market has just gone higher and higher. It's been grinding away upward. And therefore, it's natural to be worried about what's going to happen with GDP if it stalls, if you don't have the type of growth that the market has anticipated because we were going to be out of the pandemic. And now we have inflation. We can argue about what the level of inflation will be. Yesterday was a little better than expected. The market didn't really seem that enthused because we have more inflation. There are costs rising. Companies are talking about raising prices. And until we see those next quarter earnings and more numbers about the future, of course, we're going to be worried. And that means stay with what you own that you feel you can predict There's some predictability about the cash flow over the next 12 to 18 months.
3: At the same time, Jason, there are those who believe you're still better to be invested than, say, go to cash. It's just a matter of what you're going to invest in. I want you to listen to what Ray Dalio told Andrew Ross Sorkin earlier today on this very network, and we can discuss it on the other side.
1: First, no cash is trash, so don't keep it in cash, right? Second, the most important thing I think that an individual investor or any investor could do is know how to diversify well, because all those asset classes will outperform cash.
3: All right, Jason. So you're going to take our viewers to school in some respects here. Dalio says know how to diversify. You're the professor today, right now. What do we do? Where where's the best place to diversify our assets in the kind of market environment that we find ourselves in.
2: Yeah. So I agree with Ray 100 percent here. I mean, cash is a difficult place to be where, where rates are, where accommodative policy has been, you know, over the last 18 months. So for me, I think diversifying is very important. The market has taken a defensive tone over the last several weeks. And I agree with the desk across the board. It's a tough time to figure out what to buy right now. But you have to be in the market. For me personally, I like MegaCat tech, I like healthcare, which are kind of which MegaCat tech, which we've been talking over the last couple of weeks, have taken a defensive tone. So I think I think it's just important it absolutely is important to be well diversified, but concentrated in areas where there are opportunities. And I think those are companies with great balance sheets, strong cash flow, uh, that have the opportunity to move here in the next few quarters.
3: Weiss, what I noticed from looking at the, you know, the moves that the investment committee members, yourself included, are are making, um, they're not many. So do you want to opine on this notion of how Kramer starts our program today with it's the idea of a malaise? You know, there's nothing really to be excited about. Sure, Dalio says, okay, anything is better than sitting in cash. But given the environment that we're in, it's like we're stuck in gear. You get some fits, some starts, this, that, and the other, and we can't really break out of where we are. H- how are you viewing the marketplace today?
5: Well, I agree with Jim, and it's what I've been saying. I've been saying it a different way, which is that I don't see the positive catalysts in the market near term. Uh, you have to get to the earnings season and hope they surprise the upside. And I think that that's, that's a crapshoot, although typically management's are smart enough to underpromise and over-deliver. The concern I've been voicing is that there's a lot that's happening in the market right now in terms of not happening. And what I'm referring to is that, as I said this show before a few times, is that at the end of the summer, and Labor Day is when the starting gate is placed and when it opens, that you have a number of things occurring. You have, despite the announcement from Google and Microsoft, a lot of companies are going back to work requiring people to come to the office. Goldman's at 100% now. And I think that is much more the trend, than I said, with Google. Then you also have excess unemployment benefits that have rolled off. And finally, you have actually the end of summer, where you're not going to the beach, you're not doing all that. So what does that mean? It means there's less investor interest in the market at this point. And we're seeing that in the data where the the volume that comes in to buy the dips has severely shrunk. So that safety net provided by retail investors, not because it's dumb money or smart money, it's just active money that's there. We've lost that. So that, to me, creates a weakness in the market that we're seeing now. Couple that with Jim's view of it being a little boring, nothing really exciting out there. Stories have all been told I think you see this continued weakness in that it's not a coincidence that we've seen the biggest sell-off in years in terms of duration, not size, has occurred since Labor Day. So, look, I've got more cash than I typically like to run with, uh, so I'm over 20% at this point. To me, yes, you know, trash can be cash, but it can also be king on some days, and I love when portfolio yeah. managers come on like Ray Dalio, who get paid to manage assets, don't get paid anything to manage cash, say cash is trash. At some point, you want to keep it on the sidelines and prepare for that opportunity when stocks come down to redeploy it.
3: you know, they get get paid to also deliver alpha, right? And um, that's a not-so-shameless plug for our big event at the uh, end of this month, which we're looking forward to, of (laughs) course, delivering alpha. Um, I go down my score sheet, okay, from what we've all said so far. I've got directionless. I've got malaise. I've got stuck in gear. I've got lack of buyers. And then I've got what the professor himself, Jeremy Siegel of the Wharton School, told me yesterday on this program. Listen. I think we're the eighth inning before a correction. It is so hard, Scott, to, to talk about the short run of the market. I don't predict that this bull market is over yet. Right. So, Kerry... You can name all of the things that we're all concerned about, the wall of worry, however you want to characterize it. And even if you think we're in the eighth or eighth and a half inning before we get this long awaited and much talked about correction, the bigger picture story for the longer term investor, as you self-describe, is still intact. The story is still intact. It's just difficult right now.
1: Yeah, I I think that's correct. Uh, As I was saying, you know, the easy road is is to sell. The harder one, the more difficult one is to to buy, hold and find other names. And no one said that this job is easy. I mean, trying to beat the market day in, day out, year in, year out. You know, that that's hard. That's what our clients pay us to do. And we think there are names out there that we can own over the long term and feel very comfortable with. You know, whether it's Facebook and Google, and, and we own the Fang stocks, which I talk about, but we own American Express, we own Visa, we own names that are industrials, we own healthcare companies like United Healthcare, Thermo Fisher. We think those are good companies priced well at this time. I mean, we can buy them and feel good about it. So, yeah, I mean, I agree that Ray Dalio does get paid not to own cash, but I think he's correct. If you get paid nothing for your cash, why, why own it if there are opportunities out there and we don't see a big correction coming? So, yeah, I, I, I think here, it's, here, it's right to stay in the market.
3: Here's the problem, Joe. Um, you can be positive the market, but you can look and you can, and we've, and we've said it almost every day, you're not going to get the correction of Mike Wilson, for example, of 10% and others who are calling for a correction unless you get a breakdown in the biggest tech stocks, the ones that Jason Snipe, and carry and everybody owns the question is joe are those starting to break facebook lowest level in two weeks apple trading down again following its event now i know you continue to get positive calls related to the microsoft's the facebook's the amazon's the alphabets um, and the apples you cannot have those stocks break down joe
4: no, you you know, and yesterday you, you made an excellent observation surrounding the Apple event. You you observed that it was probably more of a market event than an Apple event. That's exactly what it was. In the afternoon, we were all basically pricing and trading Apple. Apple declined, the market declined. But the the big five, they need to continue to have the resiliency that they have represented for the better part here of 2021, if the market is going to continue on an appreciative path, which I suspect it is going to do. I don't think we are at the beginning of a breakdown in the big five, even seeing Facebook performing, underperforming, even seeing some further weakness in Apple. I think in the the totality of the big five you would have to see a very significant breakdown where those stocks are significantly underperforming the rest of the market and then the evidence is not there and then you can't dismiss Scott. yesterday microsoft making that announcement reminding investors in the marketplace of what they can do with the tremendous amount of cash that they are generating um, in in terms of their balance sheet
3: well which is why, Joe, I said when when Kramer started things off and said, I'm just not that excited. I, you know, what am I supposed to hang my hat on? What's what's the catalyst, mm-hmm. for example? And might come back to, to Jim in some respects. And, and maybe it's for the bigger picture of what we're talking about right now. Maybe we're looking too hard. Maybe it's not that hard. You're going to get a lot of buybacks. Microsoft right. announces its buyback everybody anticipates more buybacks. That's stimulative to a market rally. So while we're climbing this wall of worry and we're all worried about this, that, and the other thing, buybacks can be a fairly powerful stimulant, Steve Weiss, to where we may go from here, and it might not take that much more than that. Is that a a fair view? Uh,
5: Yes and no. I I think it provides a short-term pop, and then you go back to, okay, what are the fundamentals? But... But let me frame the conversation just a, just a little bit, uh, with a little bit of nuance. What we're talking about, we're talking about markets, and we're talking about what markets going to do. But guess what? All the action is below the market. So while Apple, which is, you know, has a higher beta, I don't want to get too technical, than the market, and while Amazon has a similarly higher beta than the market, that means it, that means it moves <laughs> more than the market each way, Microsoft tends to trade on its own schedule so there are even other companies and i think you've got to make your if you make your portfolio up of these other companies as well they'll be less correlated to the market and operating their own fundamentals so there's always something to do always places to put your money and i don't i don't ascribe to the school that if apple doesn't perform if microsoft if amazon doesn't perform that the market doesn't perform and, you know, the market why, why may not? sit there, why not? but stocks are open Why for. not?
3: Maybe in normal times. Well, no, no, no. Well, it, OK, your view, your view may work in normal times, but not when you've had a rolling right. correction beneath the surface, Steve. If you have those particular stocks, principal ones that are keeping you from a correction, but you've already had a correction below the surface of what you're speaking about, if right. those stocks break down, what holds you up?
5: What holds you up is that in terms of the market, nothing's going to hold you up in terms of the market because it's such a big part of the indices, but what will hold but my that, portfolio but you just, which I'm more concerned about. But you're
3: agreeing, with, you're agreeing with something that you just disagreed with. If, if Apple and Microsoft no, that, that, and the that, big that, five, the FANG+, Plus, if they break down in the current environment underneath the surface that we're in, the market is going to have a problem. I think we could all agree with that, Right.
5: Right. So, right. So let me clarify. You're right. Right. You're you're right, Scott, in terms of how I presented. So let me clarify and correct what I was saying. What I'm saying is there are opportunities to make money away from what the market averages do. Just like they've had this rolling correction while the market has stayed at pretty high levels, despite the five or six day sell off. Right. We've seen stocks are down 10, 20 percent. I own a couple of them. We can also see stocks, individual stocks, move up that don't have that high correlation to the market. And I think that's where you want to be, in quality names, not in the go-go, the hot name of the moment. And I think you can do okay. But, Scott, you know, that's, that's exactly a what the
4: basket of the fangs are.
3: Yeah, well, quality, defensive. That, it's no shock that at times of yeah. somewhat uncertainty uh, no, you have money uh, flowing into those areas. Uh,
4: yeah, sorry for jumping in, but I'll just make a quick point here. You have to understand something. Portfolio managers and everyone who's seeking the quality that Stephen is identifying right now, they don't treat these stocks individually. They treat them as a basket. They're almost like a strategy in the market, like a dividend strategy or a value or, or a growth strategy. So collectively, they're offering you offense in a very defensive way. And all of us who are speculating on this basket – If we're seeing a breakdown, the breakdown is going to occur where you're going to sell the basket. You're not going to sell the individual stocks. It's the basket that will be sold, and that would have a very dramatic impact on the overall index without question.
3: Yeah. Let's bring in our headliner of the day is Dubrovko Lakos, is J.P. Morgan's head of U.S. equity strategy, who clearly must be listening to this conversation and saying, what in the world are you guys talking about? Why are you so concerned? Why do I say that, Dubrovko? Because this morning you upped your S and P target for the end of this year, twenty twenty one, to forty seven hundred. We're at forty four fifty today. I'll take that gain.
6: Look, it's not a, it's not a big upgrade. It's a, it's a small upgrade. We're talking about a few percentage points. I think I think the the sort of the more important sort of uh, message that we were trying to convey to. The, uh, investment community was. Uh, I think the narrative. I, there's a lot of narratives. There's a lot of call it pessimism that's been sort of, especially growing in the last four, five, six weeks. A lot of talk about late cycle dynamics, more structural, broader weakening. I, I think it's actually much simpler than that, and it's it's really come down to COVID and the fourth COVID wave and Delta that has resulted in, in definitely a delay in the labor market recovery process. Just look at leisure and hospitality. We're still missing about 1.5 million jobs there versus pre, pre-pandemic levels. You have a bit of a negative impact on consumer sentiment on the back of that. And you've definitely seen a bit of a slowdown in, in broad-based economic and cycle data. But I think the view here, and the question here is really, the question here is really, what's the view on Delta? What's the view on, on COVID? Do things ease in the coming weeks, in the coming months? And if that's the case, I think everything we're talking about right now is is, is, is displaced. I think we go back into some form of reacceleration um, and potentially a much healthier holiday season as far as 4Q is concerned and a pretty decent setup when you think about the first half of next year just a few things, cross-border activity has not even picked up One even very little uh, tourism, nowhere to be seen, so again are we completely discounting all of those they will never come back or could we actually this time around start to see a little bit more of a broader easing wave in COVID that actually gets us closer to some form of more normal global economy and functioning. And then tied with that, the inventory cycle, which is at 25-year lows, CapEx cycle, which is at post-GFC mm-hmm. lows, could they get a bit of a kickstart, right? So I think no need to get negative here on on the cycle, no need to get negative on the consumer. I personally don't think there's a huge amount of upside in the market. I think easy money has been made and I agree that yes, Hard to get overly excited for, uh, on, 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 on different parts of the market, but I do think that, for instance, the reopening theme, areas like cruise lines, I think risk reward is actually quite quite attractive and quite exciting. If you ask me, and I think some I of think these concerns are just wrong.
3: I, th- I think you tell a compelling story. I mean, if we are in this predicament right now, where we're not exactly sure what the catalyst is to take us higher, and we're thinking about this because the Delta variant is brought has brought a, a bunch of uncertainty. Well, things sure seemed really good before Delta uh, wrecked some things, so to speak. Um, So if you get that out of the way, why wouldn't we have the scenario in which Dubrovko paints Jason? It's it's Delta driven uncertainty. So once the uncertainty gets out of the way, which it's going to, why won't it be a, a resurgence of a Delta infused or uh, just getting past it, rally doesn't. Dubrovko makes perfect sense, doesn't he?
2: Yeah, I think I think he makes some great points. I think for me, however, I I'm also concerned about inflation and how inflation has will affect the consumer and has continued to affect the consumer. I understand sentiment has shifted somewhat, but what what are what are his thoughts there? I think that that's an important note to, to really download and figure out. Where how, how the consumer is affected going forward from an inflationary perspective.
3: I'll even, jump in. Mean, Dubrovko, you, 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 you can take it, Dubrovko. I mean, it's, you know, how the consumer is impacted, but maybe even more from a market direction, Dubrovko, is what, how the Fed is impacted, how the taper is impacted, ultimately where rates go and what that means for stocks and earnings.
6: Look, so, yeah, absolutely. Look, my, my two cents, first of all, inflation is a very tough call and a very tough question, but... Look, we, one thing for sure, we are getting a ton of inflation and disruption, if you will, uh, from the co- from COVID. Uh, and so I think if you take a view that a lot of these pressures, COVID-related pressures, ease and these bottlenecks and disruptions start to ease, then I think automatically a lot of the inflationary pressures that we've been seeing uh, in the last six months, give or take, will start to abate. And again, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but last la- yesterday's CPI print, maybe is a point that it is a step in that direction. Uh, so, so again, I, I, you know, the only part of inflation that really worries me personally is what's the end game of ESG. What does that mean for potential imbalances that that can create in commodities and specifically oil, which very, very few people talk about. That's really the only part of inflation that really worries me potentially down the road. But most of this other inflation, consumer inflation and so forth that we're seeing right now I, I think it's gonna end up being more transitory. And I think the U.S. consumer, I think is in exceptionally good state to basically cope with somewhat higher prices. And again, inflation, first of all, is sequential increase in price. Right now, we're looking at a three month or six month increase in price. No reason why the U.S. consumer cannot cope with that. Uh, you know, you look at savings, you look at excess savings, they're not, it's not coming down, it's still very healthy. Balance sheets just got healthier. Leverage just got reduced. Delinquency rates keep falling. Job market is going to continue to improve why not that is relatively easy so I'm not particularly concerned about the consumer and I think that as Delta eases automatically some of these inflation pressures that we're talking about right now will also ease in line with that and again I think well I mean commodities it, is a separate topic but that's kind of that's where I'm more worried inflation wise if, 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 there,
3: if there's a controversial part of your call and I mean you know controversial may not be the, the right word I, I'm using it anyway because it doesn't you know forty seven hundred doesn't seem like it's ridiculous from where you were prior. We can argue whether 4,600 is achievable or not relative to the kind of conversation we're having right now. But you say to overweight reopening and reflationary stocks and then go neutral on tech. I think more people than not would say, "Mm, I don't know. That seems tough. Why do you think that?
6: Well, because right now, sort of the COVID beneficiary trade has, again, gotten a strong leg up in the last three months. And I think that's coincided with the slowdown in activity. That's coincided with the slowdown in the cycle. That's coincided with a weaker China. But I think, again, we're seeing increasing indication that COVID wave is rolling over. I think we're getting very close to a potential pivot in China policy, which is not consensus. And so I think the setup here is actually quite attractive, given where a lot of these epicenter stocks Given how much they've pulled back in the last few months, I think the risk reward there is quite attractive. So I don't think that the growth trade is particularly vulnerable or or, or I don't think it's even as vulnerable as it was, let's say in 1Q of this year, you would really need to see yields move up substantially higher. Um, so I, I think it's really more of a mild rotation in the market back from beneficiaries into these more epicenter COVID recovery, call it some form of cyclical trade. And their consumer discretionary, I would throw in their financials, I would definitely throw in their commodities and the and the energy play, uh, travel, leisure, 100%. Those are the areas where I think the risk reward is more compelling and where I personally am more excited about. Other areas, I was yeah. excited about four months ago about Fang, but now I think is much tougher.
3: Looking at the S and P in real time, uh, where it's at the highs of the day, you know, it's good for about 19 points, um, or so. I would caution the only the only thing is I wonder if people are too quick to want to write. The Delta wave off, particularly here uh, in the Northeast, where, as Dr. Gottlieb has made the point over and over again, and which he did yet again within the last hour on the stage here with me in in our conversation, is what happened. Now, we, we may not have a Delta surge that's as bad as what was exhibited down south, but we haven't felt the true Delta wave here in the Northeast yet. We're just past Labor Day. We've just reopened schools. You have to see how things shape up before we can declare victory over a Delta variant, which really hasn't shown its ugliness in its truest, ugliest form uh, up here in in the northeast Dubrovko. Do you take any caution in that? It feels like you're almost talking about COVID in the past tense, where even Dr. Gottlieb, if he were sitting here next to me, would say we're not out of the woods yet.
6: No, I look, I cannot disagree for sure. And valid points. Um, I would say the following. One, the market tends to look through and look ahead. And if the market believes that globally, globally, this fourth wave is improving or is it an inflection, you know, I don't think that just the northeast side is going to sort of clamp things down. So in other words, emerging markets, when you look at the COVID situation, it's definitely improving countries like India, which was quite problematic earlier on. So so again yes I'm not saying we're out of the woods I'm not declaring victory at this moment I'm just saying we're getting closer and closer to that point indicators are improving and so with the market tending to look forward and with positioning being on the flip side I would start to reposition the portfolio a bit that's that's all I'm saying market tends to look ahead are we
3: markets past listening sort of the uh, worst? I think I hear you no I mean the market seems to be listening to you um, today, because uh, we continue to move incrementally higher, as you make your compelling case about why the S&P can reach that level of 4,700 by the end of the year, Dubrovko, appreciate your time as always. I know we'll catch up with you again soon. That's Dubrovko Lakos of J.P. Morgan. We do have a lot more ahead coming up on the half. Up next is the man behind this conference we're at today, the Salt Conference. Skybridge Capital founder Anthony Scaramucci joins us. We have new headlines on the future of crypto. Ray Dalio had some really interesting comments earlier today. Gary Gensler, SEC Chair, he was on the network as well. He made some comments about crypto. You're looking at a crypto bull. You're going to hear from him next.
4: Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises.
7: B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started.
0: Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. Experts at the Food and Drug Administration are not ready to make a recommendation on COVID booster shots because they haven't been able to carefully review all the data yet. In a briefing document ahead of Friday's advisory panel meeting, FDA staff members say that some studies indicate protection from the Pfizer shot decreases over time, and others don't. The Biden administration wants to offer boosters to the general public, but many scientists argue that they're not needed yet. Olympic gold medalist, Simone Biles, telling a Senate panel today that she and her teammates were repeatedly sexually abused by USA Gymnastics Dr. Larry Nassar because the FBI and US athletics organizations failed to do their
1: jobs. I don't want another young gymnast, Olympic athlete, or any individual to experience the horror that I and hundreds of others have endured before, during, and continuing to this day in the week. Of the laring acerbies.
0: As he was traveling back from a tour of Central Europe, Pope Francis was asked about some U.S. bishops who want to deny communion to President Biden because he backs abortion rights. And while he wouldn't address the controversy directly, he did say that priests and bishops should minister with compassion and tenderness and not condemnation as they stay away from politics. And tonight on the news, how companies are trying to avoid employee burnout. That's as the pandemic continues. You're now up to date, Scott. I'll send it back to you.
3: All right, Rahel, I appreciate that very much. Thank you, Rahel Solomon. Let's bring in Anthony Scaramucci now. He's managing partner at Skybridge Capital, of course, the host here at the Salt Conference, the first that you've had now in New York. Thanks for having us.
8: Great. You were great this morning with uh, Scott Gottlieb, Scott. So thank you. It was great.
3: Gottlieb, I told him on the stage, I said, you being here is as much the good housekeeping seal of approval as anything. It speaks to the risk of putting a conference like this on right now in in New York. So over the summer, there was a
8: debate about doing it. And obviously, we talked to Scott, and I appreciate your introduction, frankly. And he laid out a protocol and a procedure that he thought would make us all healthy and safe. And we implemented that procedure textbook uh, of course we won't know for a few days obviously how these things work but we had very strict regiment of vaccine mandates in all venues here at the new Javits Center. So I think, I think it's gonna be fine. And I think we're gonna to have to live with COVID. That's what you, you, you asked Scott that question today. Is this with us? He said it is. And so we have to figure out a way to get back to normal lives, but following
3: a health and safety standard and protocol. And we certainly tried to do that here. So let, let's kind of move the conversation beyond COVID and, and you holding the conference uh, about what your takeaway is from what you've heard from the biggest name guests, including many big investors like Ray Dalio, for example, sure. who was speaking here, uh, among others. Stephen Cohen was Dan here, Loeb. Dan Loeb, uh, Mark Lazary's is going to be a, a little bit later. What's sure. your you always come away with a takeaway of sort of the general state of the world. Yeah. What is it this yeah, year? Yeah.
8: Mark's going to talk about sports later today. But he talked yesterday about his portfolio. The theme from Steve, Dan and Mark is that they're continuing to expand into private equity venture Uh, A lot of guys that didn't understand Bitcoin got to understand it. Ray also, despite his comments today, he owns Bitcoin. Uh, Steve, Dan, all of these guys have made investments moving into the crypto space. You know that SkyBridge now has about $700 million in crypto. We're starting an Algorand fund, which was announced here. Uh, We're capping that fund at $250 million. We already have over $100 million raised for that fund. And so I think that's a big thing. Uh, Crypto's here to stay. Uh, if the regulators are going to regulate it, Scott, they got to do it very, very quickly because before long there will be 200 million users in the United States, pension fund, pension fund holders, retirees. And I would tell the regulators, this is a lot like Uber. The regulators wanted to knock Uber out of business, but the people wanted Uber, and the people won. So if they're going to regulate it, uh, as the rhetoric is being spoken about, they better
3: do it quickly. All right, well, you you mentioned both Ray Dalio Bridgewater. He talked to Andrew about crypto, but so too did the chief regulator, Gary Gensler, Gensler, the SEC. I want you to listen to what he said today on CNBC earlier, and we can react on the other side. Let's listen.
4: I look forward to further engagement with the companies in this space and the market participants and it's really about how we bring basic investor protection uh, to protect people against fraud and manipulation and this is an area that's been rife with fraud and abuse rife with fraud and
3: abuse that that doesn't sound like somebody who's ready to uh, have a party for crypto
8: listen i'm not in love with the comment but i also appreciate gary's position as sec chairman He's got a lot of people in the Congress that don't fully understand it. There's a lot of negativity. I would implore people like a Senator Elizabeth Warren to come to a conference like this and sit with people in the industry so you can understand what the protocols actually are and how they're going to make the unbanked banks, Scott. And so he's, I think he's saying that to his audience, and I appreciate but that. you
3: have to believe that he understands crypto as well I, as anybody, do. don't you? I he's, do, and I not, listen he's to— He's not looking for you know, the, the pulpit of a, a soundbite to send around like some, some of the senators oh, maybe I've, you referenced. But I've also I mean.
8: listened to 12 of the 24-hour lessons that he had on his crypto course at MIT, and I know what he said about Silvio Macaulay. Uh, who invented Algorand, he recognizes that this is going to be a very big part of our future. He was signaling yesterday he would love to get some guidance from the Congress. You guys write the laws, tell me directionally where you want to go. Uh, I think uh, I admire him uh, due to his caution. I get the rhetoric. Uh, He was right about that many years ago. Mike Romero wrote a white paper recently that said, wait. A lot of that stuff is no longer the case as it relates to fraud. In fact, on the Colonial Pipeline transaction, the FBI, I think, secured 2.3 billion dollars of cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, after the ransomware attack. And so I think what we're learning is it's not there as much as it was in the past. And I think we got to get everybody up the curve in terms of the education. That's what I like about what we did today and the last couple of days. We bridged people from the institutional community into this space and to try to get them more comfortable. And I just tell people, listen, please try to understand it. Light up the fire of your intellectual curiosity. If you don't want to invest in it, have a compelling reason why, okay. not some jingoism or sound bites. I,
2: I
3: no one, I mean, there are a few people smarter and more thoughtful about investment related issues than, than Ray Dalio, right? Yeah. You mentioned that even he's, King. he's buying crypto. He made maybe the, the most damning comments that I've heard recently. Today, with Andrew Ross Sorkin earlier, let's listen to Dalio. Here's a supporter of crypto.
1: I think at the end of the day, if it's really successful, they'll kill it. And they'll try to kill it. And I think they will kill it because they have ways of killing it. But that doesn't mean it doesn't have, um, you know, a place, a, a, right. a, a, a value and so on. But it's one of those things that It has doesn't have it you- intrinsic value.
3: Even the cruise ship is wondering what's going on with crypto. I mean, there couldn't have been better
8: timing on that. I want to thank Patty Martell, our producer, (laughs) for getting the cruise ship going like that, Patty. Thank you. Seriously, though. Let me
3: me push back a second. I mean, it's Ray Dalio.
8: Yeah, but let me push back for a second, because Ray is a brilliant philosopher, king investor. If you read the book Principles, times in his life where he's been blindsided, including like me in March of 2020, where we both had very bad months, it was an assessment of not fully engaging on the underside and the risk. And so he has to say that. I say that to myself every day. What happens if the regulators come in here and kill it? And they might kill it. I'm not saying that they won't. Ray could be right. But my guess is he's going to be wrong. And the example I would use is Uber. The people want Bitcoin. When they were fighting it out over the infrastructure bill and they were going to put some amendments in the bill related to Bitcoin, they were overwhelmed by the $46 Users, the forty-six million wallets, if you will, of Bitcoin, and I think what the re- regulators and the legislators are starting to understand: the people wanted. Scott, I'll use the Uber example again. They wanted to shut down Uber. Uber became too big. The people wanted Uber. We now have Uber. I think that's where we're going to be with Bitcoin. But I want to tell you something. that Ray said to me once. I want to repeat her: anything that you think cannot happen could very well happen in some cases it always does and so we have to be vigilant for that downside I'm glad he brought that up I want people to be informed investors I want them to understand the risk but I also want them to do the homework
7: look
3: I mean that does not have intrinsic value is is maybe the, the most damning part of the entire comment that, that yeah he made. but, I, can I, I, but to, he knows
8: to, it has intrinsic value because he went and bought it I mean I think I think we're slicing and dicey I'd love to get him on and talk about it because the network itself and the brand bitcoin and the fact that we have a hundred and eighty million wallets or users and kathy wood said a few days ago here to andrew sorkin uh, that we're likely to get a billion users by 2025 by the end of 2025 well, sure. so that she it's
3: going to have you know have five right, times she said the value 10, 10, ten times so, so but the ne- i get it
8: but the network itself that's what we've learned from facebook google all these great companies, as they went up the curve of Metcalfe's law, the extrapolation of that network, the exponential growth, that in itself has value. Robert Metcalfe said that in 1981 about the phone system, and it's very true about Bitcoin today.
3: Congrats on pulling this off. Uh, not an easy thing to do. I appreciate uh, high it. High risk. You. We'll see how it all plays out. But Thank you for being you here in the sun. He's getting off.
8: a beautiful suntan out here, too. You see that you got the extra benefit. Thanks for
3: having us on the uh, the face of the sun, because that's what it feels like <laughs> out here. Anthony Scaramucci of Skybridge joining us now. Up next, may the odds be ever in your favor a new call out with top picks in the gaming stocks we'll have that debate straight ahead on the half
1: (laughs) what does it mean to be rich maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life at edward jones our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash find your rich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
3: Welcome back. Wells Fargo initiating today on the casinos and gaming stocks, giving overweight ratings to MGM, Caesars, Red Rock Resorts, and DraftKings, among others. The whole group, as you may know, has been under significant selling pressure this month. You're taking a look at today how some of them may be reacting in part to this call. You've had some issues in Macau, uh, obviously some regulatory issues around the Chinese as well. Um, Jason Snipe, which jumps out to me, you're buying more MGM today. Tell our viewers why. So
2: I did, Scott. Um, obviously, yeah, the headline news from out Adam Macau is not great, you know, the reg- from a regulatory perspective on what's going on there. But, you know, on the cyclical side, I like MGM. I like I think they're the best. They have the cleanest balance sheet of the group. Only 13 percent of their business is is China based. So and I and I like their Bet MGM business. I think there's a lot of up. Uptrend from there. And I think, I think it's a good buy for me here. And I know it's, it's you know down about 4% again today. So I might actually pick up a little bit more.
3: Weiss, you own Penn National and you bought it last week.
5: Yep. Uh, my time, it could have been better. I'll say that. Uh, look, I'm happy with you. they've got both physical assets, the casinos, as well as the online betting with master promoter marketer, Dave Portnoy, so I'm very happy with it. I think it's one of the cheapest out there, because it's actually making money versus the others that aren't. And I think what we're seeing in terms of, no offense Jason, is just this continued lack of awareness of what's happening in China. So while it's only 13 or 15% of MGM's revenues, those can go away over time. China just keeps taking these big two-by-fours and smacking U.S. investors over the head. And what they're saying is, hey, I like it. Hit me again. Hit me harder. They're dis- dis- disassembling capitalism outside the country and inside the country. So stay away. But in terms of the casinos going back to that, some will tend to be a longer recovery, like Las Vegas Sands, Macau side. And I just prefer to be in Penn.
3: Yeah. Uh, Joe was making the case yesterday, too, that in terms of casinos, they're just, in his his words, we don't have time to get back into it now, uh, that they're just dinosaurs. Uh, So I don't know. You know, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Interesting buy today by Jason Snipe. In light of all of the news, we have more trade straight ahead. Hispanic Heritage Month kicks off today, and CNBC is taking a close-up look at
9: representation in the boardroom. Our Dom Chu has the breakdown for us. Hi, Dom. All right, so, Scott, Hispanics, a fast-growing group in the U.S., accounting for more than half of this country's population growth over the last decade. It's now 19% of the total population in the latest U.S. Census. That's what Hispanics make up here. But of all the board seats in the S&P, only about 5% are held by Latinos. And on the Fortune 1000, it's only 3%. That's according to data from Spencer Stewart, KPMG, and the Latino Corporate Directors Association, the LCDA. Now, breaking those stats down by industry, the LCDA found that the tech sector has the lowest share of companies in the Fortune 1000 with at least one Hispanic or Latinx director. In the 20 to 30% range, we have healthcare and financial services. And at the top of the food chain is food, beverage, and tobacco, with 40% of firms having some Latino representation on their boards. Now in the C-suite, similar trends. Out of all 500 companies in the S&P, just 17 have a chief executive of Hispanic Heritage, including AbbVie, HP, and PepsiCo, amongst others, Qualcomm also joined that list this past summer as well. So while progress has been made in making corporate America more representative of the broader population, still a ways to go, especially in the leadership ranks. Scott, back over to you guys. All right, Tom, appreciate that report very much, Dom Chu. We have final trades coming up next.
3: All right, we're back. Let's do some final trades. Carrie Firestone, please start us off today.
1: Yes, I like to start with Schwab. Uh, Robinhood has gotten all the attention. Schwab has a lot of new young traders who have larger accounts than Robinhood. It's, It's underpriced relative to the market with a lot of potential.
3: Okay,
2: thank you. Jason Snipe, you're up. I like Boston Scientific here. They got Investor Day next week. I think we'll get some strong pipeline updates. Stay long.
3: All right. And Steve Weiss.
5: GXO. Stocks pulled back a little bit, still doing quite well. But FedEx is moving up, so why can't this? I think that's a good one to buy right here, particularly right. in advanced
4: earnings. Joe, Joe Turnova, quick to you. Waste, mat, wa- waste management.
3: All right. Good stuff. Thanks for watching, everybody.